you're done, it sort of poofed and went, you know, to powder or something. I, I wasn't sure. Thank you, Llewellyn family, for the wonderful song. It's a joy to serve the Lord with them. And just, uh, they're, they're just first class. And I'm thankful for the joy that uh, we've had together. We served together in our life group or Sunday school class, whatever you want to call it. And, and, uh, and then uh, his sons, just faithful young men and excited. Joseph, one of our Bible college students there and uh, on, on this end here. And so we might reel the other two in there eventually. You never know. And uh, then Brad, one of, our, one of our deacons, drove me up here. He's my neighbor. And uh, I didn't want to bother my staff. They had been everywhere. And usually one of them's driving me. And I thought, you know, I'm around them all the time. And I'm going to drive about an hour and a half. I'd rather have somebody that I really enjoy being around. And so I thought I'd have Brad to bring me up. And so that's what we did. And so it's just really good to be with you. My wife is sorry she can't come. Uh, she is uh, uh, involved in ministry responsibilities tonight. And so she wasn't able to be here, but I'm sure maybe somewhere down the road, if we don't lay too big of an egg, maybe pastor will let me come back and I'll bring her with me and you can meet my dear wife. Uh, your pastor was a great student. Uh, he was always engaged. Uh, never had to worry about whether or not he was going to turn in his assignments. Uh, he was he was focused at what God had called him to do. I'm not surprised that God has placed him at a young age in a pastorate, and uh, that uh, God's going to use him here. Uh, and and you're blessed to have him. And I'm thrilled to be here tonight to preach for one of our Bible college students who I believe is a fine young man, man of God, and I believe the Lord is going to do great things with him. It would it be okay if I told you about our history and you won't hold it against me? Okay, so. I was a young Bible college student at one time, believe it or not. I know my hair doesn't tell you that by looking at it. And, uh, but I can remember I pastored a, a small church in the mountains of North Carolina. I started out with 18 people. That was counting my wife, my, uh, my Seth, our unborn daughter. So you go ahead and count the one that's not here yet. That'll build your, and anybody else that we might have thought was pregnant. Okay. We counted that, that, that one as well. And, uh, so we were in, we, we were there. It was 1993. There's folk here that you remember 1993. I remember the blizzard of 93. Uh, yeah, hands going up everywhere. And uh, those that don't, you can Google that later. And uh, I, we were in revival meeting. And at that time, a man by the name of Bob Ferguson was preaching my revival meeting. Can you believe that? Who was actually here at one time. And I couldn't believe that. I, there, it, it just reminded my mind of that taught me homiletics in, in Bible college. And so you won't hold that against me, right? Okay? That's been years and years and years ago. And uh, so anyway, I just was thinking, when you called the name, I thought, is that the same church? I remember coming up here and seeing your church as a young preacher. And, uh, and I'm so excited that God is vitalizing this ministry through uh, Brother Crozier. And I'm excited about what God's going to do. Your best days are yet ahead. Can I help you understand your best days aren't behind you, they're ahead of you? You'll never go where God wants you to go looking in the rearview mirror. You always go where God wants you to go looking in the windshield. And I hope that's, that's what you'll do, is look in the windshield of what God has here on this hill for you. And uh, God has wonderful plans, and I trust that by faith that you will reach out and take hold of everything that God has for you. And uh, I'll tell you, God, you're going to be blessed as a result of that. Support your pastor. Love him. Encourage him. Pray for him. He's a good man. He's a good man, and I hope you'll encourage him and uh, be a blessing in his life. Well, there was a lady, she was visiting a farmer, 
And uh, she's at this farm and looking out and the different animals. It's cows and horses and chickens and ducks and all this. And then she happened to notice a pig in the backyard. Thought that was odd, first of all. Wasn't it a pig pen? is in the backyard. And uh, then it was limping. And she thought, well, there's a pig in the backyard and it's limping. And uh, so upon closer examination, she realized that this particular pig had a wooden leg. And so she was so intrigued by that, she began to ask the farmer. She said, uh, I, I'm just amazed, you know, all the animals you got, but you got a certain, there's a pig in your backyard, and, and, and I saw her limping, and, and it has a wooden leg. And he said, oh, Bessie's such a wonderful pig. We love Bessie. You just wouldn't believe how, be- how wonderful Bessie is. And Bessie, Bessie is such a wonderful pig that our house caught on fire. And Bessie saw that. We were all asleep and she oinked so loud, we didn't even need a fire alarm. She woke everybody up in the house and we all got out safely. Bessie is wonderful. And she said, well, that's great. I tell you what, Bessie's something special, but that doesn't tell me why she's got a wooden leg. He said, Bessie's so wonderful. My daughter was drowning in the farm pond. We didn't even know it. We was up on the porch. Bessie saw her drowning in the farm pond, come running up the uh, up the, through the pasture, oinking as loud as she could, got her attention. We followed her down and pulled my daughter and saved her out of the pond. It was amazing. Bessie's so wonderful. She said, she is wonderful, but why does she have a wooden leg? And she said, ma'am, you don't understand. When you've got a pig that good, you don't eat her all at one time. So anyway, I'm not going to throw the whole load on you tonight, okay? Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark. One of my favorite books in all of the Bible. The Gospel of Mark is a book of action. That's why it's smaller than the other Gospels. It's not that he had less to say. He just moves you along quicker through the life of the Lord Jesus. You're going to find words like immediately and straightway. I mean, he's moving from one scene to the next scene to the next scene as he's sharing to us the the, the servant of Jehovah, the Lord Jesus, who came to be obedient to his Father. And, and you're going to find that a servant, nobody cares why they were born or where they were born or how they were born. That's why he doesn't mention anything about the birth of the Lord Jesus. He's writing and picturing Him as the surrendered servant of the Lord. By the way, every one of us ought to be surrendered servants tonight, shouldn't we? The Lord was busy about His Father's business. You and I ought to be busy about our Father's business. Wouldn't you agree? You're going to come into the Gospel of Mark and quickly, once you get through the temptation of the Lord Jesus, the ministry, His baptism, His temptation, the ministry of John the Baptist, He's really introducing you to the Lord's Messiah. And then as quickly after that, He begins to show you His power, His working in the lives of people. One of the things you need to do when you read the Gospel is understand that this is God at work in people's lives. When I see Jesus at work in people's lives in that day, it gives me an understanding, it gives me insight in how He wants to work in your life and in my life in our day. Uh, Can I help you understand? Jesus is at work in your life tonight. You may not always see it. You may not always feel it. You may not always understand it, but He's at work. There's never a time in your life when Jesus isn't at work in our lives. And we need to understand that. We're going to come tonight to verse number 35, and we're going to find a time in the lives of the disciples that Jesus was at work. Look what the Bible says in the same day. The, the Mark chapter 4 is a long day of ministry. When you come to verse 35, you're at the end of the day. Notice what he says, "...and the same day when the even was come, He saith unto them, Let us..." That's very important, pass over 
unto the other side. There's purpose here. There's, there's meaning in His words. Uh, verse 36, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took Him even as He was in the ship, and there were also with Him other little ships. Now you know there's a difference between their ship and the other ships. Look at verse number 37. And there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. It had come to the point that, that, it, that it was about to sink. Verse 38, And he was in the hinder, the back part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? Would you underline that phrase in your heart and mind or maybe your Bible? Why are you so fearful? Now what's the next statement? How is it that you have no faith? Did you know that fearfulness and faithlessness go together? When I am gripped by fear, it means that I am not controlled by faith. Faith and fear. Fear expels faith. Faith expels fear. Notice verse 41, and they feared exceeding. Now here's a different kind of fear. The first fear is a terrifying fear. It is a fear that had filled them with dread and terror. But when you come to verse number 41, and they feared exceedingly, this is a different kind. This is not a terrifying fear. This is a reverential fear. This is an awe. This is a fear. What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey Him. What a passage of Scripture. All of us have had terrifying moments in our lives. I remember one as a little boy, I, I, was, I was contemplating this passage. I went back in my mind when I was a, a little boy. We, we were experiencing a horrific thunderstorm that day. It was on a Saturday. My dad was home. I remember that because he worked during the week and, and my mom was gone. She was probably out of the grocery store shopping or whatever. I was home at, with my dad and, and the lightning was flashing. The thunder was rolling. The rain was coming down in torrents. The wind was blowing and, and shaking the house. And every time the lightning flashed and the thunder rolled, the chandelier in the living room would, would shake and, and you could hear it uh, tinkle, so to speak. You could hear it sound off in that room. And I'm going to tell you, as that house shook, I shook. I was terrified. I began to cry out in fear in the midst of that storm. My father came and he had me to lay down in the floor in the living room and away from the window and he put his arm around me telling me, I, I could hear him saying, Kevin, it's okay. I'm, I'm here. You're safe. Everything's going to be alright. You know in that moment laying in that floor with my dad next to me and his arm around me, the storm continued to rage on the outside, but I was calm on the inside because my Father was near. When you come to Mark chapter number 4, there is a terrifying moment in the lives of these men. You would think that they would be men of strong faith, men of strong will. I mean, if anybody could handle it, they could handle it. But oh no, there was a moment of terror in the lives of these men that walked with Jesus and they found, when they found themselves out in a boat on the Sea of Galilee engulfed in a storm and they did not have to be afraid, but they were afraid. you know why? They failed to understand the Savior 
was near. What I want you to learn tonight is Jesus is in your storm. If I don't learn anything else tonight, I need to learn this truth. Jesus is in my storm. Let's pray. Lord, I love you tonight. And I'm so glad to be with Pastor Crozier and his dear wife and wonderful people here at New River Baptist Temple. I'm so thankful that they're allowing me to preach to them. Thank you for the Llewellyn family that sang tonight and blessed my heart as they always do. And then Brother Brother Brad Cannon as he drove me up and we fellowshiped together looking forward to the drive back down the mountain. And Father, I pray that our hearts will be stirred and helped. And Lord, that this church tonight would be encouraged. Lord, I don't know this congregation, but You do. Lord, there may be some tonight, they're terrified. There may be some tonight, they're in a storm. There may be some tonight, Lord, that they've been stretched to the limits of their faith. But Lord, help them to know that You're near, that You are in their storm. Help us to learn something of Jesus tonight on this night of Bible conference, and I'll thank You for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, you know what? We're not in a Bible conference just to learn the Bible, are we? We're in a Bible conference to learn about the God of the Bible, the Lord of the Bible. That's why we're here. And understand how He wants to work in our lives. When we come to Mark chapter 4, we've already learned that we're at the end of the day. The disciples have had a wonderful day of ministry. The Lord Jesus has taught, He's preached, He's healed. Uh, it's been a magnificent day. The day's now come to a close. Uh, they, they're no doubt are excitedly talking about the wonderful service, the great crowds, the powerful message. Uh, the, 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 the healing that, that the Lord had brought in the lives of people. Spiritually speaking, they were, they, they were on a true mountaintop experience. Now they were anticipating a moment of leisure. They're going to get into the boat. They're going to cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Little did they know what lay on the horizon. Little did they know that in the next little while their, their faith would be stretched to its limits, that by night's end they would find themselves fearing for their very lives. I'm glad to tell you tonight that listen, there's times that you and I have fear and we're going to learn what they learned, that Jesus is near. I want you to notice with me first of all tonight the coming of the storm. The coming of the storm. I want you to look at verse 37 again. The Bible said that, that uh, verse 35 and 36, they're in the boat, they're crossing over to the other side, and there arose a great storm of wind. Now, if you know anything of the topography and the geography of the Holy Land, you're going to go from north to south. Uh, many of you have been watching a lot of it on the news. You learned that Lebanon's in the north. Jordan's on the, the, the east side of, uh, uh, of Israel. Uh, help me understand, there's no such thing as Israel's west bank. They have an east bank, but not a west bank. The west bank is a way that the, that, that the peoples of the world who are anti-Israel claim that that is not their land. Jordan has a west bank. If you go due west across uh, from, from what we would say modern day Iraq, across the Middle East uh, toward the ocean, you would go west and what you're going to run into on the other side of Israel is the Mediterranean Sea. At the south of that, you're going to have a, a border with Egypt and there's going to be that little strip that you know of as Gaza where everything going on in the world tonight. Did you know that Gaza, the Gaza Strip, remember that's one of the five cities of the Philistines. Ashkelon is still there, by the way. This is still that group of people that Israel has fought with for thousands of years. We need to remember that, what's going on in our world. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the geography of this moment and the topography. You're in the northern part of the nation of Israel. They're on the Sea of Galilee, a large freshwater lake. 
It's surrounded by mountains, alright? The most prominent would be Mount Hermon. The cold mountain air is going to flow down off of Mount Hermon. You've got the warm waters coming from off of the Mediterranean Sea, and they clash, they clash over the Sea of Galilee. It is not uncommon at all for the moment to be calm and serene and clear and wonderful, and the next moment, because of the rushing cold air and the warm air blowing off of the ocean, for it to clash and blow up into a violent storm. I mean, they were in a moment of peace and calm and serenity, and the very next moment they were engulfed in a storm. You know what I've learned tonight? Our life can be smooth sailing and the next phone call, the next bend, the next situation, we can be stretched to our limits. We find them here. No doubt they thought it was smooth sailing. They saw the beautiful sunset. The stars had come out. But then as they began to go, they felt the breeze begin to pick up. They began to see the storm clouds gathering in the distance. And then suddenly, the waters were convulsing around them. They were caught in a storm in the Sea of Galilee, fearing for their very lives. It reminds us and it's suggestive of the storms that can suddenly and without warning blow up in our own lives. Oh, but there's marital storms. There are family storms. Maybe not just us four or us six or us two, but maybe it's an extended family. Suddenly, out of nowhere, uh, the, the, the family is engulfed in, a, in turmoil, financial storms, spiritual storms, health storms, all emotional storms, spirit, all kinds of different storms that we can find ourselves in. And dear child of God, it may be tonight that you are in a storm. But I find not only are they sudden, but they're severe. Look with me if you would please in verse number 38. and uh, Verse 37, I'm sorry. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat in the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. We're going to come back to the middle part, verse 38. Look at verse 39. And he, and he arose and, and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. Alright? So the Bible says, verse 37, there was a great storm of wind. Matthew, who tells the same, who gives us his account of this same moment of time in the lives of the disciples, uses the word tempest, a great tempest. We get our English word seismic from that word. We think of seismology. We think of, of, of earthquakes, a, a seismograph that's used to, to, to uh, measure the, 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 the the strength of an earthquake is it convulses the earth and causes the earth to shake, and, and they'll tell you what it is on the on the Richter scale. So this was a 4.3 quake, or this was a 5.1 quake, or this was a 2.0 quake, whatever it might be. This is the very same word. It's the idea that the waters of the Sea of Galilee were convulsing. Uh, it, the gale force winds had, had whipped the water's surface, tossing that ship from side to side. The waves were breaking over the sides, filling the ship. Uh, the boat was uh, about ready to sink. I mean, to, the, to these disciples at that moment on the Sea of Galilee, they believed that the sea was literally going to swallow them up. Have you ever been in a moment in your life that you've been stretched to the point and the stress and the, and the anxiety and the difficulty of that storm, you feel like it's just about ready to swallow you up? Matter of fact, there's times the storms of life become so severe it seems like our ship will sink. 
all the coming of the storm. But I want you to notice, not only do I see in my text tonight the coming of the storm, I want you to note the cry in the storm. I find that, if you would. Now, remember, there's a great storm of wind, verse 37. The waves are cresting over the ship. It's filling it up. They're trying to bail it out. They're doing everything they can to keep their ship afloat. The Lord's asleep and they cry out to Him, Master! you hear it? These men were skilled fishermen by trade. They were skilled sailors. They, they knew what they were doing. I don't know the fore from aft on a boat. I don't know how to put the sail up. You know, I, I don't know anything about a ship. But those, those disciples, they were fishermen. They knew exactly what they were doing. They had no doubt been in storms before, but this was like any storm they had ever experienced in their lives. They were doing everything they could to keep their little ship afloat. However, in spite of their heroic efforts, the situation looked hopeless, and they were staring then the face of a watery grave. Have you ever tried to bail yourself out? Have you ever worked at it so hard that you felt like no matter what you did, no matter what you said, no matter how you that you just felt like you was about ready to sink. All the while, Jesus is asleep in the boat. He's in the back part and He's asleep. Fear gripped their hearts. Now here's how we read this in our personal Bible reading. I trust that we're in Bible conference tonight. We're here preaching. We're learning about the Lord. I trust that, that what you'll take away too is that I need to read my Bible. I need to be a person who's in my Bible on a daily basis. I need to learn of God. I need to pay attention to what I'm reading in the Bible. But if we're not careful, here's how we read verse 38. Alright, are you ready? And he, was a, and, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? That's not how it happened. No, no. They're about ready to die. Their ship's about ready to sink. They're staring in a watery grave. They're doing everything they can to keep their ship afloat. It is hopeless. They are helpless. They don't know where to turn. Suddenly, they remember Jesus is in the back of the boat. And they don't go up to Him and say, Now, Master, Master, if you could wake up, you're going to find that we're in a whole lot of trouble. No, no, no. No. It was, Master! Master! How can you sleep at a time? Do you not realize that we're about to drown? We're about ready to pair. We're going to die! That's what they did. They cried. Do you know one of the biggest mistakes we make in the trials of life is that we run to everybody else before we run to Jesus. We're looking for everybody else to give us the answer and we don't go to Him. They did everything they could first and went to Him last. They should have went to Him first. Right? Matter of fact, can I tell you, they might not have faced what they had faced if they had went to the Lord first. It might be that instead of Jesus being our last resort, He ought to be our first resource. Isn't that a good lesson that we learned from this passage? And so they cry out, Master, carest thou not? Do you not care? That's it. How many times have you cried out to Jesus like that? Do you not care? Lord, do you not understand? Lord, I don't even know why. Why am I going? Why did this come into my life? Why am I where I'm at right now? Lord, where are you? Do you not care? We criticize them. But yet in our times of our own panic, we begin to cry out and we ask Jesus, do you really care? Lord, are you there? 
Lord, do you not see where I'm at and what I'm going through and what I'm facing? Lord, if you really cared, you, you wouldn't allow this storm to come into my life. Lord, if you really cared, you would stop this storm. Lord, if you really cared, you would, you would, you would reverse all of this and you would get me out of this. You would deliver me from the storm. Do, do, do you care? Oh, yes, He cares. Oh, He's touched with the feeling of your anxiety. I'm reminded of, of Charles Spurgeon. He was visiting one of his young, young, young preachers out of, the, out of the Spurgeon College. I'll never forget reading this story, and they were walking through the meadow one day, and the, the church, and I thought this was interesting, back in the old days in America and in England, churches had weather vanes, okay? And they were always roosters. I always wondered why in the world would you have a weather vane with a rooster? You know why Baptist preachers would put a rooster on the weather vane? Because it was a reminder not to deny Jesus like Peter did. Wasn't that interesting? But in this particular weather vane, there was a rooster on top of it, and in the middle of it was the words, God is love. Now, if you know anything about a weather vane, whatever way the wind's blowing, that's the way it's pointing. Isn't that right? And that gives you an idea of the direction of the wind. Mr. Spurgeon was walking along with one of his Bible college students who was pastoring the church. He said, son, you mean to tell me that the love of God is as fickle as the wind? Do you mean that 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 that, it, that 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 God's love is changing? And oh, he said, "Oh no, we'd never say that." He said, "Mr. Spurgeon, what we're really trying to say with that weather vane, God is love. That He loves us no matter which way the wind blows in our lives." And I want you to know tonight, whichever the wind way the wind's blowing in your life, Jesus loves you and He cares. You may not feel like He cares. It may not seem like He cares. It may not look like He cares. But I want you to know He cares about you your situation, what you're going through, you are valuable to God. Oh, we've seen tonight the coming of the storm. We've seen secondly the cry in the storm. Let's notice lastly, if we could very quickly tonight, the calming of the storm. Now don't get excited like we're about ready to land a plane. Okay? Just because I said this is the last point doesn't mean we're at the last part of the message, okay? It may just be that we're in the middle mile, okay? And then we will land the plane, all right? And uh, so notice if you would please, in verse number 39, I like this phrase. I underlined it in my Bible, and He arose. Whenever the Lord arises, you can be sure something great's about to happen. I believe that's why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 44, verse 26, Arise for our help and redeem us for Thy mercy's sake. I believe that's why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 68, verse number 1, Let God arise. Folks, you know what we need to do in our day? We need to let God arise. We need to give Him opportunity to work. How often we get in the way of God trying to handle it our way, help God out, figure it out, tell Him how to do it. And what we need to do is get out of the way and let God arise in our lives. Give Him opportunity to work. How important that is. We get so impatient. We get so hasty. God's at work and we need to allow Him to work. Can I help us to understand when we come to the place that we can, we're ready so He can in our lives. So He arises. Let's see what He does. He's in our storm. So we see His power over the storm. Look what He says in verse 39. And He arose and rebuked the wind. That's an interesting word. That word rebuke is a strong command. It almost means to scold like a person would scold their child or to rebuke their child. It carries the idea of charging with blame. How can this storm be the fault of an inanimate object as the wind? 
I mean, how can you blame the wind for doing what the wind does? It, it blows. Why would He scold it and rebuke it? Could it be that behind the wind was the Lord's enemy, the devil himself, attempting to kill the Lord and His disciples, this time by drowning? This would not be the only time or the first time that Satan sought to prematurely kill the Son of God. Oh, he's going to deliver a message early in his ministry near his hometown Nazareth, or actually in Nazareth, he's going to preach, and he's going to make them so mad that they're ready to rise up and cast him off the hill and stone him. But the Bible said he, he passed out of the way he escaped. More than one time Satan had tried to kill the Son of God. It's interesting, the devil would cause the wind and the tornado that would take the, the, the wealth of, law, of Job and his ten children's lives when the, crash, when, the, when the house crashed in upon them. The word in our text seems to apply that our Lord's command went beyond the tempestuous wind to the hand of the one who had caused it. Now, wait a minute. Don't, don't, don't go too far ahead of me. I'm not suggesting that Satan is the cause of every trial that comes into our lives or the cause of every storm that comes into our lives. But here's what I'm saying is that there is an enemy of our souls that will do everything in his power to oppose you and hinder you and stop you. And he may not cause the storm, but he'll use the storm to discourage you and upset you and, and cause your faith to falter and to fail, and to question the goodness of God, and the greatness of God, and the love of God, and the power of God in your life. Let us understand something tonight, that it doesn't matter what Satan may say or do in our lives, he has never told the truth, and our God has never told a lie. Satan will slander our God. Whenever you get the feeling that God doesn't care, there's the enemy behind that, I can promise you that. He wants to use the upsets of life to defeat us. There's many a church tonight defeated because they allow the upsets of life, Satan, to discourage them and stop them. Church, can I challenge you in these early years under your pastor as you're moving forward? There's going to be storms. There's going to be upsets. There's going to be struggles. The character of this church will be determined by what it takes to stop you. Don't allow Satan to cause your faith to fail. Isn't it powerful? Can I remind you tonight, the one who is for you is far greater than the one who's against you. Can I remind you that when the that, that that it was Paul who said, "What shall we then say to these things? All of these things in life, all of the what we see around us, the trials, the struggles, the hardship, a society that that that, that is falling apart. If God be for us, who can be against us? Christian, don't ever lose this truth. You are more than a conqueror in Him. Don't ever lose sight of." At any rate, the Lord's command, at the Lord's command, the howling winds ceased to blow. Look at verse 39 again. And, and he said in the sea, and, and he rebuked the wind and said into the sea, Peace, peace, be still. Oh, it's a wonderful word, that word peace. It means to muzzle, like muzzling a dog. It's, it, it's what it means. It means hush. He rebukes the wind and he says to the sea, Hush, hush, stop. 
It began to lap up against the ship. Oh, what was coming over the sides is now just calmly lapping against the ship. You know what? There's nothing like... Well, I like it when I'm catching. See, I don't like going fishing. I like going catching. Don't you yeah. folks? Now, I've been fishing more than I want to, but I like catching. I, I enjoy the evening time out on a boat. I really like it if I've caught something and you're sort of just relaxing, drinking a, a soda pop. I don't eat vine and sausages anymore because of acid reflux. But I do still like having a nab or a snack. And here in the water, there's nothing more peaceful than hearing that water just sort of lap against that boat. You know what I'm talking about? Can you hear that? That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to bring calm. It can rage all around you, but there can be a calm within you because the Savior's near. He can hush the noise of your heart as you trust Him. Understand that peace is not always a feeling. It's a state of being. It's a state of recognizing that although the storm may rage, everything's alright because my Savior is near. Peace is not the absence of danger, trouble, heartache, or storm. It's the presence of Jesus in our lives. And, the sin, and, and I love what he says. Mark said, And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. At the command of the Lord, the storm gave way to great calm. He's the master of the sea. It's been said many times. The same God who can rebuke the winds and hush the seas can calm the, 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 the stormy hearts of our lives. Not only do I see His power, but I want you to get it real quickly, His promise. It's interesting that not one time does Jesus ever explain the reason for the storm, why it came. He never told them, could He have prevented the storm? Absolutely He could. He never tells them why He doesn't. He simply gives them a promise. You see it in verse number 35. Okay? You, last phrase, let us pass over unto the other side. There's the promise. Fellas, we are going to the other side. It's a statement of fact. It's a promise. Let us. They took Him in. Took Him as He was into the ship. He was with them. And you know what's different between their ship and all the other little ships that were there? You say, preacher, what was it? Jesus was in their ship. And all the waters of the Sea of Galilee couldn't sink their ship. Can I tell you, the Lord's in that ship. And if He's in your ship tonight, it can't sink. Thank God for the promise of His presence along with you always, even to the end of the world. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Oh, and then His peace as He hushes the heart. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. The world can, you can buy sleep, but you can't buy peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. We're going to have trial. We're going to have tribulation. As long as we're this side of heaven, there's going to be struggle and heartache and difficulty. We live in a broken world and, and it's going to stretch us at times. Oh, but remind you that in Him we have peace. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Oh my. Is there anyone who understands our hearts? when the thorns of life have pierced them till they bleed. One who sympathizes with us and in wondrous love imparts just the very, very blessing that we need. Oh yes, there's one. Only one. The blessed, blessed Jesus. He's the one. When afflictions crush the soul and the ways of trouble roll and you need a friend to help you, He's the one. Isn't that a blessing? Let me close with this. Could I do that? 
We've seen His power. We've seen His presence. I want you to see His purpose. Alright? Preacher, what could be the Lord's purpose for the storm? Can I just stop and say something? God never moves without purpose or plan. Nothing in our lives is by accident. Nothing. You say, well, why did God let me go through such a trying, difficult time? Why why did He do that? I'm going to tell you why He did that. Because He knew that was the only way to make you like Jesus. That's why. God is willing for you to hurt so that you can become like Jesus. And He knows that that's what it takes to make us like Him. That's what it is. It's a work of love. Because becoming like Christ is the sum total of life. He's going to demonstrate to them His faithfulness. Let us pass over unto the other side. He told them they were going to the other side. What He, what he plans, He performs. I love chapter 5, verse 1. Look at it if you would please. Alright? And, and they came over unto the other side. You know what that means? They made it. Christian, let me tell you something. You're going to make it. If you're saved by the grace of God tonight, you will make it. You're going to make it. You don't have to survive. You can thrive. You can. You can make it. You're going to make it. Thank God for that tonight. We're going to make it. He's going to see us to the other side. Oh, I thought about what the Lord's about Noah when He placed him in the ark. No doubt there's many times that Noah may have fell in the ark, but he never fell out of the ark. Can can I promise you, He never promised him a smooth sailing, but He did promise him a safe landing, didn't He? They came over to the other side. And He's going to develop their faith. Look at verse 40 and 41. We're done. And He said unto them, How are ye so fearful? Here we are. We're back again, aren't we? We're back to this matter of fear. See, it was a terrifying moment. Do you know fear in our lives is reflective of the absence of faith in our lives? Fearfulness and faithlessness goes together. Instead of living a fear-filled life, we need to live a faith-filled life. What do I need to do with my fears, preacher? I need to take them to the One who can calm my fears. I need to take them to Jesus. I don't know about you, but, but it's usually at nighttime when the house is quiet. We're alone in the bed. Or maybe our... Our, our, our mate is asleep or the children or whatever. And suddenly in those quiet moments, the icy hand of fear begins to creep into our lives. You ever experienced that? What do you do at that moment? If you're not careful, you succumb to the fear rather than rising up in faith. Brother Ken and I were talking on the way up and it was so important. One of the, one of the things that we were talking about is about what you say to yourself in times of fear. You know, instead of talking to yourself, why don't you talk to God? See, what we do start doing is talking to ourselves and telling us how bad it is and how we don't we don't what we're going to do. And we begin to wring our hands and our hearts and our lives. We begin to get out of control and begin to spiral. And instead of talking to ourselves, maybe what we need to do is tell it to Jesus. That's what we need. Take it to Him in faith. Oh, He's developing them. Look what He says, verse 41. 
and they feared exceed. Oh, excuse me, verse uh, 40, 40. He said, how is it you have no faith? You see, he wanted to take them from no faith to little faith to great faith. He was teaching them to trust Him. Christian, I want to tell you something tonight. You can trust Him with your storm. You can bring it to Jesus tonight. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Psalm 55, verse 22, about casting our burden upon the Lord. He shall sustain thee. Thou will keep in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because He trusteth in thee. Do you know what the little storms of life are for? To help you trust Him in the big storms in life. That's what it is. Christian, I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know what you're going through. But you don't have to fear tonight because the Savior's near. And when you can't trace what He's doing in your life, you can trust Him. And what you might need to do tonight is bring your burden, your need, your struggle, your hurt, your pain, your fear to the Savior and to know He's near. I'm glad He's in my storms tonight. What about you? Let's stand to our feet.